You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. It is a good morning, isn't it? My goodness. Some of you are kind of still reeling from the game yesterday and see everyone walks in all somber and sad, but what I found was freeing just was after the game was over, just I'm, I'm ringing or feeding back or something, Kidel. Um, I found when you just turn the TV off, it's like instantly, like life moves on. It's so, it's so awesome. It's so freeing. You know, you're so disappointed and then you just turn the TV off and, uh, and move on with life. So, and the sun came up again today and everything's all right. It is all right. Um, and in a similar vein, but much more serious note, like when I was referring to that prophecy in Isaiah chapter five, just about like the current uh, aura of our age, uh, the spirit of our age right now, where there's so much confusion, there's questioning of the basic fabric of humanity on every level, you know, in regards to human sexuality, what it means to be created in the image of God, what it means to, uh, you know, when life begins, like all this basic aspects of humanity are being questioned, called into question, and uh, people are calling what is good evil, what is evil is good. Uh, the ripple effect is this, this symptom of anxiety, and uh, what I think is, is oftentimes um, a problem is when the church tries to engage with the world through the, through the antics of the world, like through the ways of the world, and in this generation, I find many believers doing more harm than good in the, in the realm of the platforms of social media. And, um, and so I would just encourage you, it's actually a kind of newfound freedom me and my wife have found ever since our sabbatical to not be on uh, social media so much because I, be, I feel like that so much of that confusion is being propagated in those spaces. And so if you have extreme self-control, great. But if you don't, like be honest with yourself of where, like, where is your time best spent and where is your influence best expended? Is it in those spaces? Um, I would see one of the best stewardship of those platforms to be like dropping a truth bomb and then leaving. <laughs> like a, a drop in the mic and then leaving and not engaging in the fray of, of our current confusion in a way that just um, misrepresents Christ so often, misrepresents the gospel. And um, the Lord is calling for his church to shine bright in this hour. And, uh, and that means we need to be different, and that means we need to be captivated by the one to hear him more clearly than all of the noise uh, of this world. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter 16 this morning. I ended last week by pointing you to this statement from Jesus in John chapter six, where he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus, just moments before he had said that, had fed the masses, like literally sued the very basic human need of hunger in their lives. He met that need, but then pointed them to a much greater need, which was for bread for their soul saying, he is the bread of life. Come to him to, to fulfill and satisfy that, that deep hunger of your heart. And so I want to, in a similar vein, build on that this morning by um, 
pointing us to Exodus chapter 16. The title of my message this morning is Bread from Heaven. Because Jesus, in the passage we were in last week, he, point, he referred to this, this story of in the wilderness, the Israelites being sustained by this bread from heaven. And this is now our life in Jesus. From the moment we say yes to him and the spirit of God comes to live inside of us, that transformation has begun. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now there's a whole new way of life opened up to us, which is the sustaining, uh, the the Lord sustaining us day in and day out through his life-giving power and grace and word. So I want us to look at Exodus 16. Before we do, let's just, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the revelation of yourself to us. You didn't have to reveal yourself to us, but you, you chose to. And you, you wove together this beautiful story of the way you've redeemed us and bought us with a high price. And I pray this morning that our spiritual ears would be able to hear what you're saying to us in a way that brings transformation and life, that feeds our soul, that allows us to leave the gathering this morning changed, looking more like you. Pray that you would, for those that don't have a hunger for you, I pray that you'd stir up a hunger. For those that walked into this place hungry, I pray that you'd feed their hunger in such a way that it, it like, pours fuel in the fire, fans into flame that hunger in a greater way. Meet us here this morning in your name, amen. We're gonna see how far we get through Exodus chapter 16 this morning because there's so much in here and um, so we'll see here. And they journeyed, starting in verse one, they journeyed from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So the Israelites had just been rescued miraculously by the hand of God from the superpower of their day, Egypt. And now the journey is just beginning. The rescuing just started, just initiated the story of redemption that the Lord wanted to do in their lives. It wasn't just about the rescuing. And so often in Christianity, we get that wrong. We think, it's all about the rescuing. It's, it's about the rescuing for something. Not just the, the sheer fact that God rescued you from darkness into light, but he rescued you into a way of life, into an eternity of life with him. And that's important for us to understand that they journeyed from this place of slavery and enslavement to, to a power into, into this way of life with God, which would be counter to anything that they experienced in Egypt, anything they would see in any other country or nation or peoples or tribe, they would be distinct from all other peoples on the earth. And we're going to learn about that here. We're going to see why. Verse 2 says, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. I am so distracted by that ringing. There's still a ringing in my mic. I'm sorry. Uh, 
For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It is so confounding to me the kind of the, um, the forgetfulness or the pride in the children of Israel, in which we find in ourselves so often as well. Here they are just rescued miraculously through 10 powerful plagues from Egypt. And now they're in the wilderness and they're saying, we wish we would have died in Egypt. We, we wish we would have died with, with pots of meat surrounding us. Like, how, how does that make any sense? Like, why would you die with, with abundance and meat around you? Why would you, why would you prefer that death over this death, like a valiant death of being rescued and, and, and your Lord uh, showing his power over your enemies. It's so interesting the things that we say in the midst of, of discouragement and testing and trials. And what happens in the midst of testing and trials and temptations is many times we, we do fall into a, a kind of a spirit of confusion in regards to our past. And we begin to look back towards our past with a sense of fondness. Here they are, they're free people now. And they're looking back towards slavery with a sense of fondness. Like, we wish we were back in slavery in Egypt. At least we had full bellies. They're not even saying that. They're saying we wish we would have died there with abundance around us. This is a crossroads Every believer has to cross in their life. This is a cross every believer has to take up and bear in their lives. Is testing and temptation and trials that may make you weary. But Jesus spoke about this. When he told this parable about the, the sower and the seeds and the different soil types, maybe you've heard, you've heard that parable before. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus said some of the, some of the seeds were the ones that were sown on stony ground, who when they, they heard the word, immediately they received it with gladness. They said, yes, I want, to be from, I want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yes, sign me up, I'm following Jesus. But he says in verse 17, they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So when tribulation or persecution arises, meaning we will all face this. We will all cross this road. We will all have to pick up this cross of persecution or tribulation. There was, there was others, the other, another soil type, verse 18. Now these, these, are, these are the ones who's sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter, enter in choking the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this is temptations. We all are going to have to face this cross uh, of temptations, testings, and trials. And so I would say oftentimes people get discouraged. As I meet with people as, as a pastor, people get discouraged when they have these seedlings of a thought about their past life. Or they look at the world around them and they say, you know, the world has it so easy. Ever since I said yes to Jesus, my life has been more difficult. It seems like everything is bubble up around me and, and I have things coming at me from every direction. I would encourage you this morning, don't be discouraged by trials and temptations, by the testings. I believe oftentimes the discouragement we heap on ourselves is more shame related to that voice saying, look at Egypt, look at, Egypt. Look at the world, look at how easy they have. 
Don't fall into the, tra the trap of shame. The right response is not for us to beat ourselves up over us having those thoughts about how, how easy life was or how easy the world has it. But instead, the proper response is for us to simply hear what the Lord is saying and then to remember rightly where he's taken us. He's taken us from slavery. We had no will of our own and he set us free. The Lord has spared nothing to rescue you. He's spared nothing. The Lord has miracle after miracle. I love hearing the stories of the ways in which the Lord woos hearts, draws people to himself. Everybody has this amazing testimony of the way the Lord, over time, drew you to himself. And oftentimes, it takes a moment for us to stop and, and, and be still and to remember where he took us, where he's taken us from. Take a deep, deep breath. Think about what is true. And oftentimes, what happens is similar to what happened during worship. He comes in like a flood. He revives our soul. He reminds us that he is good. Let's keep reading in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So the Lord heard their complaining. Even in its imperfections and its, in its fleshliness, like he still heard the human cry from his children, saying they're hungry. He said, I will pour down bread from heaven. It's because the Lord is good. Despite us, the Lord still reveals himself to us. Despite us and our own failings and our own complaining and our own grumbling, the Lord is so good to reveal his mercy to us. Amen? That's, that's what he's done in my life time and time again. I fall short and he reveals his goodness once again. He pours out, he showers out his grace upon me. But with every dose of his goodness and his grace also comes a certain responsibility. Look how here in verse 4, he paired the promise of his bread from heaven with also a responsibility of a test to come. He said, I'm going to pour out bread from heaven, but I'm also going to test you in it. He's after their hearts. Yes, he wants to fill their guts to get them through the next couple of days to stop that grumbling in their stomachs. But more than anything, he's after their hearts, not their stomachs, right? And that's what he is for us. He'll come in like a flood and he'll woo our hearts. He'll reveal his goodness. He'll reveal his grace once again. He'll review his uh, reveal his beauty. But with it, he accompanies a certain test because he wants our hearts. To whom much is given, much is required. Always remember that kingdom principle. I've been learning that lately, to be careful what I ask for. There's oftentimes an impatience in our heart that, that, that kind of says we, we want the Lord to do something when honestly we don't know what we're asking for. There's kind of this, this passion and, and zeal I've found that 
is really a disguise for impatience. The Lord knows what we can handle. Stay hungry, stay humble, trusting in the Lord's timing of things. And recognize when he does reveal his goodness, when he does reveal his grace, when he does reveal his mercy, that you receive it with a sense of humility to then pass the test that's before you. To carry, to carry that revelation with a certain grace. So he's very specific, that they're, and he'll go on to give more instruction as well, that they're supposed to every day pick up a certain quota of the bread from heaven. And then on the sixth day, pick up enough for the seventh, for the day of rest, for Shabbat. So that day, they won't have to go out and even collect any food. There'll be this extra provision so that they can fulfill even that, that God-designed order for their life and the rhythm of their life, which is Sabbath rest. Let's keep reading verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Like if they didn't know it already, they'll be reminded of it again. They will know in their heart of hearts that the Lord has, has brought them out of the land of Egypt. Verse 7, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? He says, you will know. He'll bring to them this remembrance. Not just in their heads, but in their hearts. That remembrance will be brought to bear again upon their hearts. The gravity and the reality of it. That he rescued them from something. From Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. He gave them once again a sense of autonomy and, and free will to be the people that God created them to be. And he says that in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. What in the world does that mean? Sometimes these terms can be hard for us to make sense of. What does that mean? They're going to see the glory of the Lord. You know, oftentimes the glory of the Lord can be equated to the miraculous, but it's not just the miraculous. And cheapen the glory of the Lord just to be a quick fix to our issues or our crises. It's much more than that. It's the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of King Jesus is going to be revealed to them. Before Jesus ever steps foot on the planet, within a few, you know, within uh, 1,500 years, his beauty is going to be revealed. This bread from heaven, this sustaining bread from heaven is going to be revealed to them. And they will see the beauty of the Lord, the Lord's miraculous power to supply their needs. So I want us to capture something this morning, that God has destined his church to see his glory, to carry his glory. And at every point that we're not carrying the glory of the Lord or the beauty of the Lord, we are not being the church. I mean, you can take that to the bank. At every moment, around every corner, with every breath that we uh, exhale that does not exude the, pres the, the beauty of the Lord, we're not being the church. The church is meant to carry and host the beauty of the Lord. The church is meant to point people to the beauty of the Lord. At every point that we don't carry the beauty of the Lord, we're failing the world around us because we're meant to point people 
to the beauty of Jesus, that the world would catch a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. Not ourselves, not our models, not our brand, but him. To every point that we are, or that people are seeing how beautiful Jesus is, we are being the church. There's so much more in there that I want to unpack. Let's go to verse 8. Also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, in the morning, bread to the full. To the full. And you can circle that, to the full. It's just like we read in the, the passage last week in John chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000. He gave them food until they were full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. It is the beauty of the Lord to give you what you need. I mean, just think of any time you are anxious about what today will bring or money or just the very basic thing, needs of life. Turn to the Sermon on the Mount and allow King Jesus to assure you of the ways of the Father. That it is the beauty of the Lord to give you what you need, to trust, that you can trust him, that he is enough for you. And complaining is never fruitful. Never. Complaining in this, this tone is really a, sh a shifting of blame. I mean, I've had to learn this as a pastor to not take people's complaining personal. I've had to learn that when people complain, they aren't complaining against me most often. I have to take ownership of what they truly are complaining about me and that I can change. But oftentimes they're not. They're really complaining against the Lord. I'm not equating myself to the Lord. No, nor is Moses here com uh, comparing himself to the Lord. But he's revealing our hearts. Complaining is this sense of taking ourselves off the hook and demonstrating a certain spirit of entitlement. I mean, in this case, the Lord did not owe it to Israel to rescue them from Egypt. So what is the answer? When push comes to shove and we, we feel like there's lack and we feel like we, we need more, the answer is simply trust. The place the Lord wants us to live in is this place of perfect trust, knowing that he is enough. You know, any complaining done with a, with a pure heart can be this honest and humble conversation with the Lord. I'll just quick show you one example in Psalm 13 because it's pretty short. Psalm 13, it's six verses, but he starts by saying this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you prayed that before? Have you ever said that? Or will you, will you forget me forever? Like, hey, do you remember me? My name, I'm, the, I'm David. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? That's verse two, having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Verse three, the tone quickly shifts. Consider and hear me, O Lord. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I've prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So in the middle there, he, he, the, the posture of his heart changes to one of humility and brokenness and even trust. In verse five, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
So in six quick verses, he goes, Lord, have you forgotten me? To Lord, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. That is, that is like the, the proper caring of those temptations of complaining that rise up in us. Do not allow the spirit of entitlement to take root in your life and in your heart. The Lord doesn't owe us anything, but yet he deals bountifully with us. Let's look at verse nine. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they had looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. This is like um, DoorDash or uh, you know, Walmart pickup here, you know, 2,800 years ago. And, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? And that name, that's the name that stuck. What is it? That's what manna means. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. What is it? This bread just appearing on the ground and and meat being provided in the evening. Their stomachs being filled. I'm going to ask Hannah to come and just play on the keys. This gives us a picture of the life that you and I are called to live in. And there's so much here that I want us to to quickly pull out. One is this, that if we don't have the glory of God in our midst, we have nothing. From the moment Israel is rescued out of Egypt, the glory of God is in their midst. And when they're journeying in the wilderness, still the glory of God in their midst is meant to be their distinctive meant to be the thing, the factor, the, the, the one distinctive that sets them apart from all other neighboring nations, the one distinctive that leads them through every test and every trial and every temptation. It's the, the beauty of the Lord. Him always being before them, being the one thing that's on their minds, the one thing that they're, they're encamped around is the beauty of the Lord. And we see that then throughout their, their journeying, that the, the glory of the Lord is revealed through actual manifestations of the glory cloud or, or fire, but also through miracles. The Lord speaking to them through prophets, through Moses, and through all the prophets that would, that would follow after Moses. The glory of the Lord has to be in our midst. And if we don't have that, we have nothing. So in the modern church, how is the glory of the Lord in our midst? He needs to be in our midst through, yes, signs and wonders and miracles. He needs to be in our midst through the beauty of transformation, salvation, the saving of souls. The Lord speaking to us in a way that feeds our souls. I I started to talk about that last week. The Bible can't be treated like any other book. It's meant to be actual sustenance for your soul. It's the glory of the Lord that is the distinctive of the church. 
Just as it was the distinctive of the house of Israel, so it should be for the church. That's what makes us light in this world. Second is this. So one is, if we don't have the glory of God, we have nothing. Number two is this. It's the glory that leads us. We see here that they, the Lord told them to look towards the wilderness. He told them to look towards this barren, lifeless, wild place. And it would be the glory of the Lord that was leading them there. Why? Because without the wilderness, we oftentimes like, grow out of this need for the glory of God. It's oftentimes in the, in the times of greatest peace that we, we kind of fall into this, we fall into this sleepiness and apathy and entitlement. But instead he says, look towards the wilderness, look towards the storm. There is a, a greater level of dependence that the Lord is calling us to. It's in those moments that dependence is re- revealed, an opportunity to be, to be dependent upon him. Third is this. One is if we don't have the glory of God in our midst, we have nothing. Two is it's the glory of God that leads us, the beauty of the Lord that leads us. Three is the Lord wants to be our daily supply. I believe the Lord is opening up people's eyes to see him as their daily supply. That's what I believe is beginning to happen in the church. Like Sundays have a distinct feel of God catalyzing and raising up the church and in a unifying way, sparking something so that people can leave this place and yes, be fed throughout the week through intimacy with the Lord, through relationship with God. So there was design here in God's instructions that I want us to heed. He he tells them every single day to go out, pick up the quail meat, to pick up the, the bread to eat every single day. He's calling them to be reliant and trusting of the Lord daily. If you keep reading, which I encourage you later to go read the rest of Exodus 16, because it's it's amazing. It's just chock full with truth for your soul. But if they didn't take him, which many of the Israelites didn't uh, take him at his word, they didn't trust him. They picked up extra. They're like, well, I'll just sneak a little extra. You know, maybe he's not going to come through tomorrow. And so I'll take a little extra in my back pocket. All that stuff would just be infested, you know, with with worms and, and maggots. And it would just be rotten, you know, just like that. Not on Sabbath, but any other day if they took extra. What's also fascinating is not every person took the same amount of food. It says some took lots because maybe they had a greater appetite. Some, they didn't feel like they needed as much, but they were all full. They all had what they needed. But any of those through a spirit of poverty, through a spirit of distrust that took extra, it rotted. Those are the ways of the Lord because he, he, he doesn't want you to live in this like frantic sense, sense of poverty, spiritual poverty. And I find this to be so relevant in the, in the Western church today so much where we have so many resources, biblical resources, that we kind of get uh, obese with, with, with information and Christian material, but it, none of it's actually feeding our soul. I mean, I just imagine if we, we encamped around the presence of the Lord on a Sunday, the Lord speaks to our, our hearts about Exodus 16, and we actually begin to chew on that throughout the week. 
We actually slow down our lives not to be just such consumers of all this Christian material and getting so, um, you know, overfilled with stuff that's not actually feeding our souls. He's calling us to, to sit at his feet and be reliant on him for daily bread. And fourth is this, the Lord in our midst should cause the world to marvel. I love that the children of Israel, they called this bread from heaven. They just called, they called it, what is it? That's like literally what manna means, is what is it? They didn't even, they didn't even have words for it. We see that marker in the book of Acts. You see it, especially the first half of the book of Acts, that people marveled at the way the glory of the Lord was moving in the church. They were in awe, they were in wonder. Time and time again, that marks the church, this sense of what is it? We, we don't have words for what the Lord has just revealed to us. If you'd all stand in this place, I want us to respond to the Lord. If you'd all bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. The bread of life has revealed himself this morning. As the one whom your, your heart longs for. He's the only one that satisfies. He's the only one that fills. And he's captured your attention this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender to the Lord this morning. For him to be your daily supply. And for some here this morning, that means you actually need to surrender your life to the Lord for the first time. And for others, that may mean you've prayed a prayer in the past, but you know you're not right with God this morning and you need to surrender your life to God this morning. You need Jesus to be your savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. There's others in this place that have been running frantically in this life and have found themselves lacking and running on empty. And Jesus, as the bread from heaven, as the bread of life, is revealing himself to you as your great supply, as the one who is more than enough. So if you're here this morning and you're part of that first group, you'd say, Do I need to surrender my life to Christ? or I need to rededicate my life to Christ, would you raise your hand? I wanna pray with you this morning. Thank you, awesome. Is there anybody else? If you're joining us online, there's a number that'll appear on the screen. You can reach out to us and let us know that you're gonna pray this prayer so we can follow up with you. We praise God anytime we receive a text from an individual that surrendered their life to Christ online. We, we are so excited. We praise God for lives that are being transformed through the preaching of the gospel and through his church being the church. So if you raised your hand, I saw one hand in the back. Is there anybody else? So if you, if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, you can pray this prayer on your own. I am not the mediator between you and God. There's only one mediator, his name is Jesus Christ. So you pray this prayer, Lord, this morning, 
I surrender all that I am to you. I look to you as my savior, that I cannot save myself. I cannot clean up my life. I can't pay the penalty for my sin. I am in need of you. And this morning I declare that. Before my friends here, I declare that I need you, King Jesus. Come and wash me. Forgive me. Make me new. Spirit of God, come and live inside of me. Make your home in me. No turning back. This is a new day. This is a day of salvation. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, can we just give those people a, a huge hand if they prayed that prayer? If you're here otherwise and you feel like you're running on empty and you've been lacking, the Lord wants to meet you this morning as well. Just receive from him. Bread of heaven, bread of life, I thank you for your kindness and your generosity to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, in the context of community, in the context of family, there are individuals that have come this morning and have recognized their, their utter need for you to be their everything, to be their supply, to be their sustenance, to be the food for their soul. And so we turn from every other superficial sustenance from this world that maybe numbs the pain or soothes the hunger for a moment. And, and instead, we declare you as the, the sole satisfying substance for our, for our soul, the one we were created for. You as the king of glory, the king of beauty, the one that's captured our hearts the one who centers us on what we are created for. It's you, King Jesus. And so I pray that you would meet individuals this morning in a way that transforms them. Father, that you'd fill them with your spirit in a way that continues the work of God in their life from this day onward. That they'd leave here like feeling called into the secret place being called to go and feed on your word for themselves, to sit at your feet until they're filled to overflowing. I pray it in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.com.